Back in episode 31 on toads and frogs, I briefly talked about tree frogs, but I recently had a request to go into more detail about these arboreal amphibians, and in doing some more in-depth research, I found out there was a lot more that I could tell you about them. So that's what we're going to talk about today, tree frogs. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. If you've already listened to episode 31, some of this is going to be a review. Tree frogs are, quite simply, frogs that usually spend a significant portion of their life cycle in trees or in high-growing vegetation, as opposed to more aquatic frogs that spend most of their life in the water. There's about 16 species of tree frog found in the United States, and most of them are found in the eastern U.S. The gray tree frog, which includes the Cope's gray tree frog, is one of the most common tree frog species in North America. They can be found in most of the eastern half of the United States and as far west as central Texas and Oklahoma. They also range into Canada in the provinces of Quebec, Ontario, and Manitoba. Gray tree frogs are small, only reaching about two inches long at most. They're sexually dimorphic, meaning that males and females look a little bit different. Females tend to be larger than males, and males have black or gray throats, while the throats of the females are lighter. Their skin has a lumpy texture to it, giving them a warty appearance, and they're variable in color, generally ranging from mottled gray to gray-green, with a pattern that resembles tree bark, which makes sense. It helps them stay camouflaged. But gray tree frogs are actually capable of changing color to better blend in with their surroundings, from nearly black to nearly white, although they change color at a much slower rate than, say, a chameleon. In contrast to its otherwise drab camouflage pattern, gray tree frogs have black-marked bright orange or yellow patches on their hind legs. Now, these areas are normally hidden, and they're only seen when the frog leaps. This is known as a flash pattern, and it's a defense mechanism that helps to startle a potential predator as the frog makes its escape. In addition, skin secretions of the Cope's gray tree frog can be irritating to the mouth, eyes, and other mucous membranes. The diet of gray tree frogs consists primarily of insects like moths, mites, spiders, plant lice, and harvestmen. They've also been observed eating snails and even smaller frogs, including other tree frogs. Gray tree frogs breed from May to August. In the spring, isolated males start calling from woodland areas during warm weather a week or two or so before migrating to temporary ponds to breed. There, they form choruses and call together, most frequently at night. Now, the relative success of these males at attracting females depends on how well their advertisement call is able to lead females to their calling space. Now, here's the challenge they face. As the number of males increases, a single male's advertisement call is confused with the other calls. It's like shouting, hey, I'm over here, in a room full of other people shouting the exact same thing. So this leads to the inability of females to accurately locate the origin of a single call. So what's a poor boy frog to do? Well, the first thing they do is change the timing of their call. 
Since females don't like call overlap between males that are close to each other, the male will change its call timing as well as the characteristics of the call they produce. Males will increase the length of their advertisement calls, but also call less often since each call uses more energy to produce. Kind of like waiting for everyone else in the room to stop shouting to take a breath and then shouting yourself and doing it louder and longer than whoever's standing next to you. The lowest intensity of a neighbor's call that a male frog will tolerate is known as the aggressive threshold. When this threshold is reached, the male will use a different call, known as an aggressive call, to signal his intolerance or to initiate conflict. Although, conflict seems like almost too strong a word. They generally just exchange aggressive calls and only rarely do things get physical. And even then, I mean, come on, they're frogs. What are they really going to do to each other? It's basically a wrestling match. Females prefer the longer advertisement calls to shorter aggressive calls, so basically they're not really all that impressed by all this macho frog posturing. When they move closer to a male, he changes his advertisement call so that it's several times longer than a normal advertisement call. This increases the likelihood that this advertisement call is received by a female over the noise and vocalizations of the other males. Females initiate mating by touching the male frog, which makes him vocalize one or two especially long calls, known as courting calls. Gray tree frogs prefer to mate and lay eggs in woodland ponds and vernal pools that lack fish, which makes sense. Fewer fish means fewer predators to potentially eat your eggs. They'll also use swamps and garden water features. Outside of the breeding season, gray tree frogs spend the remainder of the year high in trees, where they forage on insects and insect larvae continuously until winter. They're one of the few frogs that can produce an antifreeze in their blood to help them survive colder temperatures. Now, another common tree frog species, and probably the one I've seen the most, is the American green tree frog. Green tree frogs are a medium-sized frog, getting up to about two and a half inches. While they're usually green, at least on their back, hence the name, they actually come in a variety of colors, from yellow to gray to green. Like the gray tree frog, there's some evidence that green tree frogs can change color in response to their background and or the temperature. These frogs are found in the central and southeastern United States, ranging from the eastern shore of Maryland, Delaware, and southern New Jersey to southeast Florida and as far west as central Texas. American green tree frogs prefer open canopy forests and permanent water filled with lots of vegetation. They live in both natural and settled environments and can be found perched on twigs, low branches, and grasses, or, in my case, on hot tubs, windows, and sliding glass doors. American green tree frogs are insectivores, primarily eating flies, mosquitoes, grasshoppers, cockroaches, spiders, beetles, and other small insects like crickets and ants. One study suggested that these frogs select prey not by size, but by activity level, with the most active prey being the most frequently eaten. The same study showed that nearly 90% of the prey were actively pursued, and the remaining 10% consisted of insects that just happened to come close enough to be caught by the frog's tongue. Most female green tree frogs breed once a year, but some, especially those that live farther south, can have multiple clutches in a single mating season. Breeding is known to be strongly influenced by day length, temperature, and precipitation, 
but the relative influence of each one of these factors is not really well understood. What is known is that the frogs generally breed after rainfall, and males call more frequently as temperature and day length increases. The call of the green tree frog is described as a bell-like sound that can be repeated up to 75 times in a minute. Supposedly, this distinctive call has earned them the nicknames bell frog or cowbell frog, but I have to admit that I went through a lot of sound files for American green tree frog calls, and this was the most bell-like I could find. Male green tree frogs try to mate with as many females as possible. Like the gray tree frog, to attract females, the male American green tree frog uses a distinctive advertisement call, which is noticeably different from its other calls. Also, like gray tree frogs, the males will often form choruses, resulting in a cacophony of advertisement calls. However, unlike gray tree frogs, American green tree frogs, are more likely to change the frequency, duration, and timing of their call to make it unique in a way that is both attractive and audible to the limited number of available females. Timing might even mean calling at a different time of the night. Some American green tree frogs don't make advertisement calls at all, but instead they remain silent. These are known as satellite males. Satellite males wait to intercept signals from nearby calling males and then mate with the approaching females in what's known as sexual parasitism. Hey, I'm told everybody lies on their online dating profile. Why should frogs be any different? Sexual parasitism is a way to conserve energy and avoid predators during mating. In order to help decide whether to engage in satellite non-calling behavior, male green tree frogs will eavesdrop on nearby competitors and adjust their mating response based on the qualities of the call signals. If given a choice, females prefer large males with lower frequency advertisement calls. Interestingly, in South Florida, the Cuban tree frog is an invasive species that has a similar call to the American green tree frog with respect to timing and pitch. A study found that the calls of Cuban tree frogs and American green tree frogs compete acoustically with each other due to their similarity, which limits the communication space. To compete with Cuban tree frogs, American green tree frogs have modified their calls to be shorter, louder, and more frequent so that potential mates would have a better chance of detecting their call. Green tree frogs attach their eggs to substrate like vegetation, and unlike other tree frog species, these egg masses are typically laid in permanent bodies of water rather than vernal pools, probably because permanent bodies of water tend to have more aquatic vegetation. American green tree frog tadpoles are preyed on by sunfish, bass, and dragonfly nymphs. To avoid predation, green tree frog tadpoles spend more time hiding in aquatic vegetation. Now there's a fungus out there known as BD, which is short for two very long words that most of us can't pronounce, and it causes a disease that ravages the skin of frogs, toads, and other amphibians, throwing off their balance of water and salt, and eventually causing heart failure. BD has devastated amphibian populations around the world, and while the American green tree frog is prone to a few parasites, it is resistant to the BD fungus. Exact reasons why are unknown, but it's currently being researched. 
Now, back in episode 31, I talked about cricket frogs, but what I didn't know at the time was that cricket frogs are, in fact, members of the tree frog family. They can be found in northern Mexico, the United States, east of the Rocky Mountains, and up into southern Ontario, Canada. There's actually three different cricket frog species in the United States, northern, southern, and Blanchard's cricket frogs, which all look pretty similar except for their thigh patterns. Cricket frogs are one of North America's smallest vertebrates, ranging from three quarters of an inch to about one and a half inches long. Not really much bigger than a cricket, although their name comes more from the sound of their call. Color varies widely and can include grays, greens, and browns, often in an irregular blotching pattern, and with a stripe, sometimes bright green, running right down the back. Unlike most tree frogs, cricket frogs are diurnal. They're active mostly during the daytime. Now, even though they're members of the tree frog family, cricket frogs don't spend much time in the trees. They're more aquatic than other members of the tree frog family, and are generally associated with permanent bodies of water with surface vegetation, but they can be found in bogs and damp woodlands. This is an important aspect of their survival because, first of all, cricket frogs don't live very long to begin with, only about a year and they're very sensitive to low oxygen levels and suffer high mortality rates when they're submerged in poorly oxygenated water. They're also extremely susceptible to pollutants. As a wise frog once said, it ain't easy being green. Their primary diet is, as expected, small insects, including mosquitoes. Cricket frogs, in turn, are preyed on by a number of species, including birds, fish, and even other frogs. To escape predators, they're excellent swimmers, but more amazing, they can jump over three feet. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but let's put that in perspective. It can be nearly 60 times their body length. That's like a six-foot-tall athlete jumping 360 feet, or 10 school bus lengths, from a standing start. And the current world record for standing long jump is just over 12 feet. It's also been found that temperature and hydration affect how far these frogs can jump. Being hydrated and warmer lets them jump higher and farther. Breeding generally occurs from May through July. The males call from vegetation with rapid, short sound similar to the call of crickets, which is how they got their name. Now, what's really interesting about these calls is that their mating calls can only be heard by members of the same population. Cricket frogs are unable to orally process calls of frogs from other locales, which has resulted in mating isolation among different populations of the species. Now, tree frogs are not limited to the eastern and southeastern United States. Heck, they're not even limited to places with trees, which can be confusing. Canyon tree frogs, for example, are found in rocky areas in the southwestern United States, mainly found perched on boulders and rock faces near permanent bodies of water. During the hottest part of the day and periods of low rainfall, canyon tree frogs seek shelter in rock crevices. They sometimes cluster together to help conserve moisture. They also have tougher skin on their back than most frog species, which helps them cope with this hot, dry climate. California tree frogs have a limited range in coastal southern California and are also not found in trees. Their preferred habitat is along streams where they're found around boulders, quiet pools of water, and in the shade. 
Now, the Pacific tree frog was once thought to be the most common tree frog in the western United States. However, recent research suggests that what was thought to be one species is actually three. The Pacific tree frog, the Sierran tree frog, and the Baja tree frog. These frogs are found from British Columbia to Baja, California, and as far east as Idaho and Montana. They inhabit ponds, streams, lakes, and sometimes even are found far from water. Their habitat includes a wide variety of climate and vegetation from sea level up to about 10,000 feet in elevation. The Pacific tree frog makes its home in riparian habitat as well as woodlands, grasslands, chaparral, pasture land, and even urban areas including backyard ponds. Despite being excellent climbers, like a tree frog should be, they're known to spend a lot of time on the ground and even known to utilize underground burrows to avoid predators. Now, all three of these West Coast tree frogs look pretty much identical, and they have similar habitats and habits, so I'll talk about the original, the Pacific tree frog. Similar in size to the American green tree frog, Pacific tree frogs grow up to about two inches long. Males tend to be smaller than females and have a dark patch on their throat. The dark patch is actually the vocal sac, which stretches out when the male is calling. Pacific tree frogs can be a variety of colors, including green, tan, reddish, gray, brown, cream, and black, but most are shades of green or brown with pale or white bellies. They can change color seasonally to better match their environment. They have a variety of dark and spotty markings on their backs and sides, but they can be identified by a black or dark brown eye stripe that stretches from the nose, across the eyes, and back to the shoulder. Their skin is covered in small bumps. Their toes are long and only very slightly webbed, and males have an extra and far less noticeable toe on their outer thumbs that's used exclusively during mating. Pacific tree frogs begin mating in the early winter to early spring. Now, since these frogs are so widespread geographically, their breeding season is thought to be determined mostly by local conditions. But when the time is right, males migrate to ponds of shallow, calm water and begin to make their advertisement calls in a chorus. Now, these calls can be quite loud, so loud, in fact, that one male often sounds like several. Once a female approaches, the male stops singing and attempts what's called amplexus. Now, I probably should have mentioned this sooner, but amplexus is how most frogs mate. It involves the male climbing on the female's back so that he can fertilize the eggs as the female lays them. Pacific tree frogs lay eggs in clumps of between 10 and 90 and attach them on or under vegetation and leaf litter in the pond. Eggs take one to three weeks to hatch into tadpoles, and generally metamorphosis takes place after about two and a half months. However, they might delay metamorphosis, changing up to five months after hatching. Delaying metamorphosis is risky, though. The survival rate is much lower when metamorphosis is delayed. It's thought that the evolutionary utility of this delay is related to the prevalence of wildfire in their natural ecosystem. One final note on these western tree frogs. All three species are considered to be keystone species throughout their range because a lot of other animals, including garter snakes, depend on these frogs as a food source. And on that note, we'll call this one a wrap.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening. Please hit those like and follow or subscribe buttons. It's free and can potentially help me out a lot. If you want to support future episodes of the podcast, here's how you can do that. Check out the Dispatches from the Forest merch store at cafepress.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. And get yourself some sweet Dispatches from the Forest merchandise. We've got t-shirts, water bottles, hoodies, and much, much more. Check out our Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do that through PayPal. Dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com is my PayPal address, and it's also how you can contact me if you have a question, comment, or a suggestion for a future episode. For additional content, follow Dispatches from the Forest on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Yes, it's true, I do have content up on the YouTube channel. It's part one of a trail tour of what's called the Mott's Run Reservoir Trail in Fredericksburg, Virginia. If you're not a mountain biker, don't be dissuaded from checking it out. It's meant to be suitable for any trail user or just if you want to feel like you're out there in the woods. Check it out. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.